You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening from around the world. This is the F11 Photography Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Deal, along with your well caffeinated but coughing Mr. Brandon Gorey. You sound like a fucking goat. Uh, uh, I've been sick recently. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we record these in clusters, so we're going to have three pods where you're going to be like... <coughs> I, I have to lean over, mute the microphone, turn 180 degrees, and just bellow phlegm and mucus into my elbow about every three and a half minutes. Where, where do you think you picked it up? you think you picked it up going to one of those, one of those late night uh, electronic shows? Dude, that's exactly... like I don't think I picked it up there. I think I drank enough there, which I rarely drink to lower my immune system to where like just the the stupidest mildest common cold is wreaking havoc on me i have cut my alcohol intake down to about two drinks per week now dude that was the first time i'd like gotten tipsy in about four or five months crazy yeah i i can't remember the last time i got drunk i I, i'm on a new new routine my my uh small little dog queso he's finally big enough now to where he can run so uh i'm now running I'm not technically running two miles. I'm running about 1.1 miles, and then I stopped to let him pee and shit and all that, and then we kind of the last half mile run and kind of interval stuff. But I'm doing two miles a day. Right? Do you do you drink wine at all? Sometimes. Um, yeah, I I I prefer rye. It's my it's my go to. Uh, I like the occasional beer. My uh, I used to be big into beer. As a matter of fact, I tried to make a coffee table book on central Texas breweries back in 2018. And of course COVID fucking derailed that. But, um, I, I just, I'm, I used to drink all sorts of types of beer and now I'm down to, uh, I just drink, uh, more or less pilsners and ale. I'm very simple. Now I used to drink like IPAs and all this shit and farmhouse ales. And my, my tastes are just now like, ah, I, I gotta, I, I just want something super simple, crisp, crushable, but I only drink one. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Like I, I don't get drunk anymore. I might. Like I might have a day where I drink two ryes on the rocks, and that is fucking rare. I mean, very rare. And when it comes to wine, um, my in-laws drink a lot of wine. So for right. Thanksgiving, like I'll ha- probably have two or three glasses of wine one of the days there. Probably on Thanksgiving, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and beer. Up. I guarantee you, on Thanksgiving itself, I'll probably have three or four drinks, and that'll be that one time a year I actually do that. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I've I've been getting into wine, right? And my biggest do you do you do you smell your own farts too, like on that South Park episode, or do do you no. have like Bach playing in the background no. while you drink your wine? Do you stick your pinky out while you take the 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 sip? No, recently it's been window liquor in the background of the wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Have some Aphex Twin playing while you're, you're drinking wine. Well, no, what I was going to say is a lot of wine, in fact, most wine, 99% of it is, it has added sugar and added sulfates to change the flavor and get the, you know, 
the maturity that it needs and whatnot. And apparently, Gwyneth Paltrow and Halle Berry both don't, like, they're not big drinkers. They drink what's called a dry wine, which has no sugars, no added sulfates. So the alcohol content is lower, and the flavor is a lot more robust. And you don't get the hangover, you don't get the headaches after two glasses. You know, it doesn't, like, ruin your entire life like some some wines will just because of how it's made. And apparently, like, it's not, like, super expensive either. It's, like, 9 nine to 13 bucks at Whole Foods, and it's called dry wine. And it's basically wine how people were drinking it 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm not I'm not a big wine connoisseur. I also uh, take everything Gwyneth Paltrow says with a grain of salt. No, she, I'm not going to buy she like, candles. She like, she, like, takes placenta and turns it into pills and fucking eats it, which is fucking weird. That's, that's not weird, actually. That's a very normal thing to do. It's, it's a great source of iron, and it's actually been shown to uh, reverse postpartum depression. Yes, but we uh, also have evolved to find other ways to do that. But anyway. No, that's the thing. Okay, go for it, yeah. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But anyway, I'm going to shift gears. Uh, so Placenta. Yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about eating fucking placentas on this fucking that's pod. That's disgusting. <laughs> see, you just said it, and I just talked about how the turning thought, into pills is... Exactly. I, I, I see the alien, like, like, like hand monster when, when I think of the word placenta, but, like, crushing it up into pills where it's a great source of iron, I think, is a different... I've thing. seen two childbirths in my life. Oh, my gosh. And, yes, and because and I have two children, and I will tell you the last fucking thing in the world I think of when I see a placenta is... I should fucking eat that. God, okay. Yeah, I'm no gonna, shit. Yeah, okay. Like, find other ways to find uh, sources of nutrition, <laughs> you fucking weirdos. Anyway, shifting gears. Yeah. Yeah, we're still in the intro part. So, uh, WPPI is coming up in March. That's the, that's where we're shifting to. We're going from placenta to WPPI. Yes, we're talking about Las Vegas. That's, so that's exciting. Putting putting weird things in your body, that's that's still on, on topic. <laughs> It's Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, so Las Vegas, uh, WPPI, first week of March. I am going to commit to a ticket. I just need to figure out how. So I put in, I, I put in a media pass. I doubt they're going to approve it. I just said, hey, let's see what happens. Do you I never know. I could, I could slide one in. Do I need to grab a ticket? So this is the question we're having here on the air. So I, the, the early bird special ends december 1st and there's a couple avenues i'm taking one is i put in i put in a request for a media pass i'm it's probably going to get denied so i don't know what's going to happen there but i'm going to have i want to have everything figured out by december 1st so that's plan a plan b is vanessa joy is speaking there and i'm going to hang out with her on tuesday so i'm going to see if like maybe she has an in like hey can you get me two passes to where we get into like everything including like because they have like they have like four levels of passes so like $50 gets you the showroom floor exhibit. Like you can go see all the vendors and talk to people. And And that's, that's what I did last year. It was like 50 bucks. It was like, okay, cool. That, that, that is the, what I call the worst case scenario is I'll spend 50 bucks and I'll get in there and you'll spend 50 bucks and we'll have, you know, collectively spend a hundred dollars and we can talk to all the vendors and try to do some interviews, which we'll talk about here in a minute. The next step up is a hundred dollars up until December 1st, and then it increases to $200, where you get everything I just talked about, but you can also go to all the seminars. So if you want to watch uh, a bunch of professional photographers talk about a topic, you can go to those seminars and sign up for them, and that's $100. I'm thinking about doing that this year if the Vanessa Joy thing doesn't pull through or the media thing doesn't pull through. Then there's like two tiers above that. One's like 
200 and one's like uh, 500 and those are like way more in depth but the 200 dollars one has something that i'm interested in and that's a cocktail party where you get to hang out with like all the movers and shakers in the industry that's the angle i'm going to try to take with vanessa like hey you got any ends to that if it doesn't work yeah. out we won't do that and we'll just do i, I think i think i'm probably gonna do the hundred dollar one this year i think i'm gonna try it because i did the fifty dollar one last year and it was cool but i mean you know after you were at, on the showroom floor for about an hour you're like okay well i've seen everything i want to see it's not that big of a showroom it's at the uh, mirage okay. and, and so uh the mirage has their own uh ballroom you can go in there and see all the new ladies and greatest uh so anyway what do you what do you think like what what, what, what do you want to do this year uh is that like a general question or are you talking about wppi wppi i think it, yeah I, I think it'd be interesting to go 50 bucks isn't steep whatsoever and what's actually funny is that my previous uh place of employment um, I was the videographer, the in-house videographer. I actually had to go to Vegas and like video some seminars on finance and stuff like that. So I'd just be bouncing from booth to booth, room to room, getting B-roll of some guy talking about like long, long calls and shit like that. So it was, it was interesting. Vegas will be fun. Now, I think what we should do there as the F11 podcast is that we should uh, maybe spend, because I think, I think the exhibit is like, two or three days i think day one we should scope out you know see what's going on we we could do in this we could do a street photography like competition oh video we we're we're <laughs> i'll get to that i'll get to that yeah. i'm gonna keep it on i'm gonna keep it on the pod which will also by that point be at youtube because like i said i think january one i think i think what we're gonna do is we're gonna record three or f the three episodes that are, we're doing in this cluster and we may do one more set of two between now and the end of the year but then we'll probably meet up the last week of the year and figure out how we're going to do all the video shit. We'll get it all dialed in and then launch January one as a uh, YouTube uh, pod as well. Uh, kind of like how Joe Rogan does it. And so we'll do that. But I'm thinking what we'll do is we'll, we'll go, I'll talk to Vanessa this week and be like, Hey, who are some people maybe at Canon we can talk to. And then maybe we can try to find some people at Nikon. What, what, what we should do, I think is we should, I should bring like a, a recorder, a little handheld recorder with me or something like that. And then just interview people like, like a hot cross buns recorder or yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll interview people. Yeah. We'll, we'll find some sort of a portable recorder to interview people because bringing this pod, uh, this road podcaster, uh, there is going to be inconvenient. So I also, I actually have, I, I already have this figured out. I have a sure microphone Okay. that, it's the one I recorded you on when we did the uh, camera swap episode. I remember that one. And that was all incognito. This, I can actually like stick it up to the face and it's really good quality. Yeah, I can I can do interviews that way. So I think I, think I have that figured out because the idea is to take as few things as possible. Um, and I think what we can do is we can go do all of our interviews. Maybe I bring the road podcaster with me there and then we can like go to a hotel room and like actually like put together episodes and put them out while WPPI is happening or something like that. I don't know. We we'll should set up on the balcony with a couple of beers. Yeah, that's the, that, <laughs> that that's literally nice. the point. It's going to be it's going to be fun. So I think we're going to talk to different manufacturers. I already have a great relationship with Photo Deox. I have a great relationship with Cheetah Stand. Uh, I'm starting to develop a great relationship with newer. Uh, they just had me do a review uh, GVM. I've done stuff for them. Uh, a lot of a lot of lighting companies. I'm starting to develop a relationship with Fuji. You know, I'm trying to trying to get to that next tier. And I think that uh, you know, if we go in there, uh, and now because because oh, another another idea. Yeah, I know what we can do. 
we can also bring either like my Fuji X-H2 or your Z8 or something like that and record video interviews and put them into the episode as well. And I can synchronize the audio later. And then that way we'll have, and I'll put like a little, uh, a little video light on top. And by the way, we could also probably get like photo Deox or somebody to give us a light and go, today's episode was sponsored by photo Deox. We're actually using their light today. And I can like do a little fucking yeah. recording of it. Guarantee yeah. you we can get people to play ball with us there. Oh, we could, we could multi-track it. I've got a, I've got a DJI Osmo action three camera. We've got the Z8, we've got the Z6. We could literally just multi-cam an entire episode. That's awesome. So I think, I think we're, I think it's starting to come to shape, but we're going to do the first week of March as the F11 podcast. I also think that we could do YouTube stuff for our YouTube channels. I think you could bring a film camera or something like that with you and we could go do some strip shoot, like shoots of the strip. I'm going to probably film two or three YouTube episodes there and I may just have you like just get some B-roll of me using a camera for 20 minutes or something and then that, and then I can build my commentary and do all my speaking to the camera later in my own time so you can go do your own shit in Vegas. But I, I think I'm, you know, last time I was I was in and out in like 72 hours, I may extend it to four days to this time around, you know, Vegas, I, I can only take Vegas for so long before I have to get the fuck out of there. But if I am task oriented, I'm there for a reason. Like Vegas wears on me. If I go do stuff like for entertainment, if I'm there for uh, work, I can be there for a little longer and it doesn't, it doesn't wear on me too as much, but you know, there's a lot of walking. There's a lot of city blocks. You, 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 you probably walk five or six miles a day there easy it's the lowest common denominator of society packed into one small place and i i'm saying that out loud yeah i mean it, it is there's there's no lies detected so uh let's talk, let's kick it okay we've, we i think we're good with the intro let's uh go ahead and kick it to today's sponsor you are listening to the f11 photography podcast today's episode is sponsored by gamut are you looking for world-class cinematic video LUTs? Check out Gamut. Whether you're shooting on Sony, Canon, Panasonic, Nikon, DJI, or Blackmagic, their conversion LUTs bring all your footage to the same starting place. That's right, if you're shooting a wedding and one of your cameras is Canon and the other is Nikon, the footage will all end up looking the same. And don't worry, Fuji users, help is on the way. I've actually been in contact with Gamut and they're telling me that they are working on LUTs for Fuji. They also make creative LUTs that are catered toward weddings, commercials, editorials, and YouTube projects. Gamut now also offers movie barcode generators. Wanna create your own movie barcode? Well, now you can by using their entirely free movie code barcode generator. Use that generator to build out palettes and barcodes for your films. Go to gamut.io to check out their insanely generous holiday offerings, and I'll leave a link in the description of this pod. So yeah, Gamut, love Gamut, and they actually just launched a new company called Mixgrade, and they're, I guess they're going to a subscription model, uh, but when you have the subscription model, they give you a ton of LUTs, so that's pretty cool. Today is episode 47 and we are going to talk about video. Today is the video episode. Um, Brandon and I are both uh, stills photographers who ended up doing video out of necessity, uh, both really paycheck related, like, hey, I wanna make money off my YouTube channel. I guess I should make good videos. And for Brandon, you know, it's like his nine to five. So uh, I'm gonna first talk about my journey uh, of getting into video. We're gonna talk about topics like um, uh, how we got into video, why it's important to learn to shoot video in this day and age. 
And, uh, you know, how much video camera do you actually need? Uh, because that goes back to, you know, do you really need to buy the latest and the greatest? Then we're going to talk about where do you see video going next? So, uh, first and foremost, I'm going to talk about how I got into video. Uh, I spent years and years and years being a stills photographer, couldn't care less about video. Every time they came out with a new camera and they had video features in there, I was just like, I don't care. I'm never going to use this. And then all of a sudden I found myself needing uh, to shoot video for my YouTube channel. And I graduated college in 2004 and the very first Canon DSLR that had video in it was the 5D Mark II, I believe, which came out in 2008. So I graduated college four years before I really even like gave a shit about video. Video was even in my, my mind or any of that. So I went all that time without learning anything video related. And then I found myself all of a sudden like, oh, I'm, I got this YouTube channel I want to do. And, you know, you can't approach video like a photographer outside of like, oh, I have my composition and I have my shot set up because your settings, they, they vary greatly. Because like I'll sit there and I'll set up an exposure and be like, okay, I'm at F5.6 and my shutter speed's at 1 500th of a second. Well, you can't really shoot at 1 500th of a second for video because it's not your, you got you your frame rate. You have to worry about your frame rate. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to like... I gotta go out and buy an ND filter because I'm I'm shooting at like one fiftieth of a second now and like oh shit like your whole world changes and of course you know you find this out when you take everything into post and you're like why are all my why am I having drop frames and everything's glitching out like why why is my video not smooth no, that's of course when I went to YouTube University and started learning about uh, video I'm like holy fuck and then like uh, color grading like shooting in raw with stills and then going in and and, and working on your colors and post-production is very different than doing it in video. It just is. Like I never used color wheels before really in, in, for, for stills. I use color wheels all the time for video. And so there's just, there's stuff to learn and, and there's there's reasons why you should learn how to do video. Uh, and before before everything got started, before that, uh, that, that, you know, the 5D Mark II came out, you know, videos were dedicated camera, you had video, cameras that were dedicated for video and then you had stills cameras that are dedicated for stills but now you have this hybrid and when a new camera comes out the video features are just as important as the stills features and a lot of times because stills cameras are kind of uh leveling off and what new things they have to offer really video is where the big advancements are happening and so the video features often become more important than the stills features because you could go shoot on a 2007 digital camera and as long as the sensor is good enough for you all the shutter stuff and the aperture stuff that's all that's been the same for years your exposure triangle so how did you get into video brandon well i got into video uh years and years ago it all started well actually started from the bottom the very bottom uh, my buddies and I growing up in th from third grade to about sixth grade is we were pyros. Uh, we're growing up in Southern California. We like to light stuff on fire. We'd take paint thinner out of our garages, dump douse it on things and light it on fire. We'd make videos of it. We used to order. It was funny when we got our allowance or when we did chores or mowed lawns, we get a bunch of money and we put it on prepaid cards. And because it was on prepaid cards, we could order fireworks to California from like Arizona, like in Las Vegas, like blackcat.com. We'd order a shit ton of fireworks and we'd take the insides out and fill ping pong balls up and take the fuses, put them in the ping pong balls, duct tape them. And we were awful. We would just set them on fire and we'd had, we had slingshots and we'd just fucking fling them 
into like wealthy suburbia in Southern California, wherever the fuck they land, where that's where they landed. And so we made YouTube videos of these growing up. You know, we made ping pong balls, smoke bombs. We <clears throat> we made ammonium nitrate fucking bombs and stuff like that. Like it was off the chain. And it's funny because instant ice packs a long time ago, this is how devious we were in fucking fourth grade. Instant ice packs, what the way they get cold is you pop the little water thing. And when the water reacts with the ammonium nitrate, it gets cold. What you don't realize is if you just open the ice pack without popping the water, you have, you have explosive powder. <clears throat> now, when you mix ammonium nitrate with K, um, with potassium, uh, oh my gosh, potassium something, it's ammonium nitrate and a uh, potassium something, uh, basically no salt. It's that potassium chloride. Uh, when you mix ammonium nitrate with a potassium chloride, you get what's called KNO3, which is a uh, potassium nitrate. And potassium nitrate is also an explosive agent. Now, when you mix that with paraffin wax or you, you mix it with sugar, you slow cook it with sugar, suddenly you have an inhibitor. And when you light it, when you ignite it, it creates the most dense smoke bomb ever. And so we'd make videos of making this stuff and we'd go airsofting and paintballing with all of our homemade fucking smoke bombs and we'd just make these videos. Um, so that's where I got, <laughs> that's how I got into video. So what you're saying is when you were younger, you were fucking stupid. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, yeah, from there, of course, getting into film photography, I really loved the production value that people were putting on their videos, especially um, like for film. Like it was as cinematic as it was about the camera. So I started getting into YouTube and doing that. And from there, I got a job. And mind you, I didn't know dick about video. I was just, you know, doing it. And I got a job at um, a trading education company where I had a really hard ass boss who basically like, um, he saw that I like knew stuff about video. He needed a videographer and he, he took me on and just taught me everything. And he was completely left brained, like very low creativity, very high, like technicality. Like he just like sat me down and he would have me work on 30 second clips for eight hours a day for weeks on end. And that's how I learned video is I didn't, like he would do the job that I was hired for and he'd just be like, like, you're not like, this is not like a thing. You're going to just fucking do grunt work <clears throat> and research on like on subsampling and stuff like that on codec casing on like on, on like the difference between raw pro res 10 bit, 12 bit, like you're just going to go through just bullshit work. So he had me do that. And that's what got me up to speed. And from there I got hired out of that company by uh, by a YouTuber. And now, uh, now I work for a YouTuber as full-time videographer, director, video producer, and everything. So it's, it's, it's cool from, so for my job, I set up the lighting, I set up cameras, I, I handle, uh, everything top to bottom video and it's awesome. Well, I have a confession to make. I was stupid when I was younger too. <laughs> so in the days that in the very early days of the internet, we're talking like the mid 1990s. So 10 years before YouTube, God, what a time to be alive because the stupid shit that I used to do that didn't end up on phones because phones did not have video recording capabilities. So in the very early days of the internet, there was this document that circled around the internet called the anarchists cookbook. Napalm. Yes. Yeah, napalm. Yes. Yes. Uh, we, 
it would it, you know it was probably made by ruby ridge people like you know hardcore right-wing extremists we didn't give a fuck we were kids we we're like we can blow shit up so you know my dad had a one of those dot matrix printers and he probably walked up to his printer one day he's like why am i so fucking low on paper and ink and i was just like mm. he's, he's probably hearing this for the first time because i don't think i've ever told him the story and he listens to the pod so he's just sitting there like what the fuck so anyway we printed it out the anarchist cookbook and we took it over to my wait, buddies. Wait, you're what? calling the anarchist cookbook right wing when anarchy is full left spectrum? Names are just names, my friend. It's who <laughs> it's who uses this thing. It's those it's those it's those fucking it's those fucking uh, guys who sit there in their compounds like the government's coming after me. I need to learn how to manufacture napalm. Those motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the people who are left wing are, are out there protesting on the streets without jobs. So anyway, uh. So these dudes are on their little compounds out in the country and so on and so forth. Anyway, we, we take it, we take it over to my, my buddy's house and there was like a broken like lawn chair. And back in the day we'd have like these lawn chairs that had like uh, metal pipes and then they'd have like these plastic wrappings around them for sitting down, these little bands that kind of run across them. So anyway, we sawed off, um, we sawed off a leg and drilled a hole in the top and closed the back and decided we wanted to make a cannon out of it. So we had we found some gunpowder and some BBs because we all had BB guns. So we put our BBs together and we had a, a wick and a wad and all that shit and tried to make a, a cannon out of it. And my brother, uh, he also is incriminated in this. He uh, had a uh, he finally had his driver's license and so he was like 16, I think. Maybe he was 17. He wasn't off the college yet. He was still in high school. He was a fuck up back then. So was I. So uh, we all we all had to like uh, you know figure out. Uh, figure out our way in life uh and so we were like hey look there's this like undeveloped cul-de-sac in our neighborhood and we took the uh we took that that pipe and we set it up and we're like well i don't even remember what we were gonna shoot like we we shot it at a sign or something like we're gonna shoot a gun at a sign and we lit it and it fucking blew up and backfired and we're like oh shit we drove off and peeled out and and my 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 brother's 19 90 Ford Tempo or whatever the fuck it was. The cops were there within a few minutes. They never found us. Just just kids kids uh, being doing stupid kid shit. I think we also at one point made nerve gas and poured it on an anthill somewhere. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was really fucking <laughs> stupid actually. So I'm just saying I'm I'm I did stupid things. Uh, and thankfully for me, uh, I didn't live in the world you grew up in. I could just do stupid shit and laugh about it later and not get not get like in trouble for it when a video surfaces years later and you're running for Congress or whatever. Dude. So so, yeah, I'm, I'm very it. much, I very much uh, escaped cancel culture. Not that I mean, not that I, I people would just go, that guy's a Dude, stupid person. My, but my adolescence was literally the last years before PC culture just fucking like dominated the world. Yeah, yeah, it is what it is. But I, I just wanted to tell my stupid story, and now my parents are just like, "What the fuck?" We're, when they're listening, we're, to this. we're twenty-seven minutes into the episode on video, and we're talking about like, how "Hey, we, we we talked about video. We talked about how we got into video." But coming up, we are going to talk about the importance of why you should learn video, even if you're a stills photographer. Hey, this is Vanessa Joy, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Okay, we're back, and we're going to talk about why it is important to become a videographer, even though you're a stills photographer. And I would point to the fact that when you go look at things like social media, and let's be honest, the majority of you out there who are creating content, 
you're doing it for some sort of a social media platform. And what is dominant right now? TikTok. You know, TikTok's dominant. YouTube's dominant. Additionally, um, I've seen my engagement rate on Instagram absolutely plummet. Like, you know, I would I would put out I would put out uh, I typically will put out a post around lunch, and I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I've I've said this several times in this pod. I don't necessarily care. But at the same time, if they're not pushing my stuff to people, I, I somewhat care about that because, like, why is the what's the point of putting in the effort of posting it if uh, Instagram's not even like letting people see it? You are putting it out there for the world to see. And so, like, back in you know about a year ago, any post I put out, it didn't matter what time of day I put it out, uh, even if it wasn't a collaboration post where multiple people saw it, like multiple people's uh, followers saw it, I would get at least. 100 likes, sometimes I get up to 300 likes on a post. I just put out a post yesterday. It got like uh, 40. I put out a post the other I, day that got yeah. 24. Literally, as of like a week and a half ago, yeah, I'd hover around like 100, maybe like 150 if I'm lucky a couple weeks ago. Now I'm just like, oh, 24. Sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and but But at the same time, I am guilty of participating in exactly what Instagram is trying to accomplish. So like I'll just be sitting there scrolling on Instagram and I'll see a funny video with a golden retriever in it and I'll start watching it. They have turned into TikTok. They've successfully pulled it off. I'll sit there and I'll watch a video. I'm like, well, you watched a golden retriever video. So now we're going to push another golden retriever video to you. So I am actively participating in the annihilation of my own engagement on Instagram. But the more important thing is that People are not pushing, uh, Instagram is not pushing your content to your followers now if you're a stills photographer. So to the point of the episode, why shoot video? Because they're sh they're, point they're pushing video. That's what they're pushing. Everyone's pushing video. Everybody's pushing video. Uh, Threads hasn't gone there yet. You can still do uh, photography, which is kind of weird. Like I did a, Threads is hit or miss on stills. I did a post there, like every now and then I'll do a post and it'll get, my post might get one or two likes and then I'll have another post that'll get 10. And then I did a post of Malika that I did with Shutter Drag and it got like 160 likes. Yeah. A bunch of people shared it. You shared it. A bunch of people shared it. And then it was like, it's kind of like a monkey see monkey do. It's like, you see it on your, oh, that's cool. Someone shared it. I'm going to share it. Like it, the algorithm was like, yep, yep. This is a, this is a banger. And it was a good shot, but it was, I mean, I have other shots that I think are equally as good that might get like three likes on threads. So I'm still trying to figure out that whole threads ecosystem. It's kind of weird, but the point being is that people pay for video. Uh, when you go see a movie, the budget is on special effects and video stuff, you know? I mean, they, they're trying to shoot it in, like, the best resolution possible and all that. And It's so unfortunate. Yeah, but, but like, when I charge for a wedding, like, to shoot a wedding all day, I can charge just as much for the video. And sometimes I can charge more for the video. And so you can make more money off video. Probably part of the reason why Brandon's nine to five is being a videographer is because video was there to give him money. You know, if he could make the same amount of money being a stills photographer shooting his own personal work, I think I have a pretty good idea that that's what he'd rather be doing. And that's, you know, shooting for my own portfolio and getting paid for it's pretty awesome. But in reality, that's not what you're doing most of the time. It's why I put my personal work on my Instagram, but I rarely post my, my commercial work unless the customer tags me to be a collaborator and in, invite they invite me to do a collaboration because they did pay me i'm like yeah i'll accept the collaboration they just pay me like five thousand dollars i think i'll go ahead and accept it yeah but but uh but yeah i mean video is where it is going yeah and here's here's the thing like that's the important thing to note is a lot of people well first and foremost for for the sake of content you don't need much more than an iphone 
um when i think of video and i think of like tiktok and i think of instagram like there's i think there's like two different camps in the videography world there's the people who can make a great narrative with iphone but they're they're not worried about you know shooting and log they're not worried about converting they're not like setting up the lights for video they just know how to make a narrative with an iphone that is compelling it's entertaining and and it's it's more creative and free-flowing they're not worried about the technical aspects because iPhones these days have gotten to a point where like the the auto ISO and like the low light capabilities are amazing. Um, of course, the sRGB or the 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 Rec 709 profile that it records in the standard um, uh, the standard color profile it records in is just is just fine. It works across all platforms. It records in 4K. Most iPhones now are just 4K at 30, 4K at 60. You, like you don't have to worry about anything, and so in terms of like learning video that way, there's not really anything to teach. It's kind of just like, okay, do you know how to tell a story? Um, do you know like shot sequence? Do you know like narrative and stuff like that? That's really what that comes down to. And then the other camp of videographers is, okay, <laughs> I'm going to use a $4,000 camera, uh, shoot it in log, make all the conversions. Um, I'm going to use license, um, license music to make a like, to make a reel that's cinematic. And I love, I love both forms. Um, do I, do I think that video is like super pertinent? Not necessarily, but I definitely think it's another avenue to go down because if you're going to buy a camera, like a, a high end photography camera these days, whether you like it or not, it's coming with, um, log video recording capabilities which i think is insane like my z8 it records in n log up to, it, it can record 12 bit in in raw as well it's just like it's insane do i need that absolutely not do i need to go through 128 gigabytes in three minutes of footage absolutely not i don't need to do that but i can and the capability is there um so like i don't i don't necessarily think video is like pertinent in terms of equipment i think that the format itself is more of a topic of pertinence well video can be a little intimidating to uh, stills photographers the thing that was intimidating to me was all oh, these codecs and these bits and you know frame rate what should i do and all that it, generally if you're doing like cinematic stuff people tend to say do the 24 you know that's that's typically your cinematic and then if you're doing uh youtube type stuff 30 and if you're doing YouTube type stuff or something that you need to slow down, you typically will do 60 in general. Now, there are variations of that. Some cameras can do 120. Some cameras can do 240. Whether or not you should do 4K, 1080, and all that. Like 99% of the shit you see on YouTube can be just fine in 1080. Well, here's the thing, too, is like there are those hard rules. Um, nobody follows them. Because what, what you when you shoot at a higher frame rate at like 120 frames and it's meant to be it's going to be compressed down to 30 for YouTube that's that's called staccato shooting. Um, so two two of the most famous uses of staccato shooting for videographers this is just like you know 101. But the, the two major uses for staccato shooting the two great examples are um, a Saving Private Ryan that was like one of the first major uses. And so what you're what you're basically doing is you're pick, packing. Um, more <clears throat> more actual frames into um into a, a, a shutter count which means you're getting high details you're not getting that natural motion blur so on the omaha beach landing and saving private ryan you've got bits and pieces of exploding fragments everywhere and it's extraordinarily visceral the movement is like is uh it, it it's staccato because there's not that natural motion blur you see everything in high fidelity it's gritty 
and it's really intense. They did the same thing for Band of Brothers. Now, uh, I think Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg were involved in both, and I think that was a creative decision they made. I don't know. Um, but there's definitely like, that's, that's a style of shooting and a lot of videographers shoot that way. And you can tell because there's an unnatural motion, like lack of motion blur in their videos. And you'll see it on reels, you'll see it on YouTube and stuff like that. And even the motion of the face, it just seems a little like, almost like robotic, like it's hyper real. Like it's just, it's too detail oriented. Um, now the opposite direction is more creative. It's when you don't, it's when you, you're losing frames per, per shutter. So that's when you'd shoot like, okay, 30 frames a second at a 1 30th shutter speed. And I, I could be getting this math wrong. I haven't, I haven't researched this in a while, but the effect you get there is like, you know, the, the opening battle scene in Gladiator where it, it's nearing the end of the battle and it suddenly goes into like a dream sequence where everything's slowing down and the movements are drawn out. That's that effect. And it creates a sort of dreamlike effect. In fact, I think Wong Kar Wai uh, used this effect a lot um, for several reasons in his movies. A lot of his movies are shot at night and he had limited capabilities with, with the film equipment at that time. And so he needed more light in. And so in order to get in more light and do slow-mo without upping the frames and then taking it down after the fact, he just lowered the frames and did like sort of dream sequence shots where there's like soup. It wasn't necessarily slow-mo. It was just... Um, it was just low speed capturing. And so that's also a technique you can use. But, um, but what I'm saying is like, there is no like, you should do this or you should do that because compression these days and like frame rate conversion on YouTube and all platforms is so good that like most people can't tell. It's just kind of like a rule of thumb. And when it comes to frame rates, so when I first started my YouTube channel, I was just like, well, cinematic sounds cool. I'm going to do everything at 24. And I've been doing it at 24 up until about a month ago. And I, I decided to, like, I started seeing a bunch of videos on YouTube that I really liked. And I found out that they're all at 30. And so I have recently made that transformation over to 30. And I, I just prefer the way it looks better now uh, for what I do. Um, you know, maybe if I were shooting a movie, that would change. But, you know, frame rate is, is purely... Uh, it's a it's a it's preference really. I mean, it's what you like. Obviously, if you're shooting in a lower frame rate and you have fast motion, things get a little on the choppy side. Whereas with a faster frame rate, it captures that detail better. So uh, it's just been something that I've kind of uh, recently discovered. But when it comes to color grading, uh, something we talked about earlier is, you know, you can shoot in log, and if you know what you're doing, you can make it look absolutely stunning. However, depending on what you are shooting, a lot of times you can just use whatever the fuck is built into the camera. So like Fuji actually allows you to bake the film simulations into the video. So if I just want to shoot something, look, making it look like it was shot in Kodachrome, and as long as like I don't have a crazy dynamic range situation where I have blown out highlights over someone's shoulder, I have a pretty well lit situation, it looks fucking great. Like I don't have to do any post-production work other than, oh, maybe I need to like bump my exposure up like a quarter of a stop or something like that, or maybe pull my shadows up a little bit. But that's all shit I got wrong at the front end. That's like, hey, you didn't light it up properly. And I found that like a lot of times you can just bake that stuff in. Canon has that too. I forget. I don't remember what it's called because I actually do shoot log with Canon. But uh, but LUTs, man. LUTs are lifesavers. The sponsor that we, we plugged today at the beginning of the episode, uh, Gamut. And LUTs totally save your ass. And I will say that like, I'm starting to get to the point now where LUTs, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I can produce better results at LUTs than I can when the camera just bakes it in. And it's really starting to become a rewarding process for me. I'll tell you what, um, 
<clears throat> I often don't use LUTs. Um, uh, I got in with uh, DaVinci Resolve, and we talked about this on another episode uh, uh, a couple months ago. Uh, there's this guy on YouTube named Wakaz Kazi. Been watching his channel, and he is fucking awesome. Dude, how do you like his node structures, dude? He fucking kills it. And DaVinci is free. You can do all that shit for free. Yeah, there's a part of me, because I have a Blackmagic Design Design ATEM switcher now. So there's a part of me, because we're going to we're gonna start streaming uh, live. Or not live. We're going to do live. We'll do post-production. But we're going to start doing our videos, uh, or our pod with videos and uh, I'm using that ATM switcher. We'll do everything at 1080p and kind of, kind of, kind of thinking. I mean, you know, if it wasn't for Photoshop, like if they just had like Photoshop for five dollars a month, I would completely abandon Adobe. If I got to the point where I could learn DaVinci Resolve, because I use Premiere for my YouTube, I don't use Lightroom. I could just find a way to get Photoshop. If they just said you can get Photoshop for three hundred dollars a one-time payment and you can have it forever, I would, I would. Ditch that subscription altogether. Wait, do you do you edit on Mac? Yes, dude. Premiere Pro is there's no reason you should be using Premiere Pro for your content. Final Cut is twice as quick, crashes half as frequently, and it's got it's such an easier workflow for like uh, low effects videos and just like more narrative style videos. Final Cut is insane. Yeah, I've been I when I made the switch. So here's what I ended up doing cuz when I started getting into video at my YouTube channel, I mean I'm a I I'm a Mac guy through and through. I use Logic. I'm I'm, I'm I usually buy the Apple products. And I am considering making the switch to Final Cut, but I'm also considering making the switch to DaVinci cuz it's free. Um but the reason what so here's what I ended up doing. I I was literally about to hit buy for $300 for Final Cut and I said, "Hold on." You have Premiere. You already have the Adobe suite. Why don't you go ahead and give that a try and, and build your channel off of that? And so I did. And it's been working fine for me. But uh, if I start taking it to the next level, it may very well be a situation where I do use Final Cut. I do move over to Final Cut. And there are some things about Final Cut that are really great. Plus, um, all, the, all the audio effects and plugins are, are Logic built into Final Cut. Yes, and I'm a, I'm a big Logic user. I do like it. So, uh, you know, that may be something that I do at the new year. I don't know. I'm gonna, I may try DaVinci Resolve first, too, because it's free. DaVinci Resolve is very powerful. It's very good. It's just, it's slow. It's very slow. Well, then fuck that. I hate slow. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's like, there's no, um, <clears throat> someone please correct me or just like get in touch with me, but like, I haven't found a way to like, okay, so in Final Cut, you can click basically up anywhere on the timeline and it'll jump your playhead to there. It's very quick editing. For DaVinci, you have to click on that small strip where the numbers are, otherwise it won't move your playhead. And then when it comes to zooming into the timeline and zooming out to quickly access things, in DaVinci, like it's you can't fucking key that to your mouse wheel. You can't key it to a plus or minus uh, button or anything on your keyboard. I, I haven't been able to do that. So you have to go to the fucking zoom thing and just like slide it across. It's it's in, it's infuriating. Um, and I found that for that exact reason that uh, it's very annoying to use without a mouse. Like it's not trackpad friendly. Well, that's uh, that's something to keep in mind. I don't know. I may, I may go over to Final Cut. Um, well, uh, I use DaVinci for all my all my colors, and then I just export a thirty three point cube, and then use that in Final Cut. But yeah, I'm 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 way too lazy. I want one program to. I want one program. So if I can color grade the way I want to in Final Cut, I may just do that. Who knows? Yeah. Well, okay. A, a lot of people who do use Final Cut, 
uh, they install a plugin that's basically the ubiquitous plugin for Final Cut because color in Final Cut is atrocious. Uh, they use Color Finale, so that might be something to look into. That uh, may be something I have to look into, but uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll find we'll find out if it ends up working for me in the new year if I just uh, take the path of water, which is the path of least path of least resistance, and just use what I've been using, which is Adobe Premiere. But I will say that if I ever find a way to just have Photoshop and eliminate everything else Adobe. I would definitely not complain. Coming up, we are going to talk about how much camera do you actually need to shoot video coming up into the year 2024. This is Jason Berkman, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we are back, and we are going to talk about how much camera do you actually need? Because I own an R5. It shoots 8K, like uh, I think up to 30 frames per second. I have a uh, Fuji X-H2, which I think is also 8K30. It might be 8K60. I don't remember. I think it's 8K30. I don't know because I never fucking shoot 8K because I look at the size of like a minute of 8K footage. I'm like, fuck that shit. And so there are benefits, though, to having cameras that go up to 8K or above 4K. So, for instance, I shoot, and I think it's called... Um, I think it's called like U, I don't remember what it's called. I think there's like UHD something or other in um, in my R5. Uh, there's a mode where it oversamples to 6K despite the fact that it's doing it in 4K. So I see the benefits of, 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 uh, of oversampling. And for instance, if you shoot uh, an entire sequence in 1080p and then you release it in 1080p or you shoot a sequence in 4K and then downsample it to 1080p, the one that was shot in 4K most people are going to go, I prefer the look of that. So there are... Oh, it's th noticeable. Yes, it, there are... Yeah. And there are absolutely uh, good reasons to do that. So plus you can crop more. You have more options. I've also noticed that just like that oversampling of 6K down to 4K, like uh, a lot of times if I have a sequence, let's just say I'm talking to the camera uh, and I say a sentence or two and then I take a breath and then when I start the next sentence, you crop in about 20%. That You see that all the time on YouTube. Yeah. Well, by oversampling and having a larger larger size to begin with, when you crop in, it, it's not going to like expand the pixels that too much and you're not going to really notice any sort of a degradation in quality. And so that's a good reason to oversample. But in 2024, Brandon, how much camera do you actually need to create good content. And that's that's anything from running a YouTube channel to shooting a wedding to shooting a motion picture that looks good. That's very much a photographer's question. Um, I think, like the camera, you don't need any bit of camera. Everything records in 4K. Uh, YouTube has not caught up to 4K um, very much in that uh, YouTube doesn't process 4K very quickly. Um, it does push 4K a little bit more. 4K does tend to get more views if you upload in 4K, but right now even though we're still we're like we're moving on to 8k and we're moving on to like 12 bit and that stuff in prosumer cameras and even consumer cameras like the z8 uh online platforms haven't caught up because it's still a lot of data uh, you have to keep in mind that like to render 4k it is still a feat of of processing power that a lot of people don't have access to in a timely manner a lot of people if they want to render 4k on their laptops that they used for college it's going to take like for a 10 to 20 minute video like it'll take hours hours and hours and hours and hours and that's hours of processing time to where you can't use your laptop for much else it's 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 heating the thing up it's using max you know if you're at 16 gigabytes it's using like it's using like 10 to 12 gigabytes of ram it's just one of those things where it's just like, it's not so much about the camera, it's about the lighting. 
Um, because video is so fluid, if you want to do anything other than social media promo, if you want to do like actual uh, videography, if you want to make a short film about making an avocado toast in your kitchen, you need a lot of practical lighting and you need to know how to shape light because it's not like photography where you can get away with it. It's a still where everything's kind of just hidden and falls into the nether. No, in video, you either fucking see it or you do not see it. So your lighting is massive. Your lighting technique is going to vary greatly. <clears throat> it's not, it's not so, it's like, like hard light. Very, 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 very few people like, act, like use hard light um, in, in video. Um, unless it's for a specific reason, unless they're like trying to mimic the sun through the window or they're trying to mimic like light coming through a door from like, uh, from like a ceiling. But otherwise it's everyone's, it's like the race to like, how do you shape soft light? And I was looking recently into, um, I think what's his name? Deacons, Richard Deacons or whatever the hell. Um, he, he has a, a lighting technique that he's famous for called, um, cove lighting. And basically if you're sitting on a couch um, and, and the camera's pointed at you sitting on the couch, everything off frame to the left or to the right, depending on the direction is going to be 180 degrees of basically like several C stands or whatever, holding a, a bed sheet, a 180 degree circle surrounding the subject off, off the frame. And there's going to be several, um, there's several uplights pointed at that bed sheet and it's going to create a very soft spill onto the face, incredibly soft. It's going to look like ambient lighting and and what a lot of people go for is they look they look for that long that far away source of light that's a lot further than what people think and the way that you get that in videography is with bouncing so very rarely unless you're doing an interview style thing very rarely are you going to have direct lighting a lot of it's going to be bouncing you know i was testing out book lighting the other day and what does that look like um even though i was using it with a strobe i just gotta interrupt and say that Brandon was in a fucking apron, looking like he was trying out for a grinder profile shot with his book lighting. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Um, <clears throat> to get that set up, I needed, I needed two C-stands. And the, the correct technical way to do it is with three C-stands for a single fucking source of light. So you ask, like, what camera do you need? It's more like, okay, how much fucking light, how much equipment do you have? You know, you need to pin a little LED panels in certain spots because, like, okay, the back corner of this scene needs a little bit more juice and there's nothing else to get it there. It's it's just a lot of a lot of little things in a lot of uh, different places. Um, but I just wanted to get back to the book lighting is this one very popular setup is, okay, I've got, I've got a strobe, I've got... I've got a softbox beauty dish, a beauty dish, or yeah, there's like that beauty dish that has a softbox. There's ones that are hard light beauty dishes and then others that are softbox diffused beauty dishes. I have a softbox beauty dish aimed at a, at a bounce reflector, the white side of the reflector. Um, the reflector's aimed at me. And so obviously the 45, the other 45 degree is going to be the strobe aimed at the reflector. And then in front of the reflector, you have draped a, another sheet. So you're, you're bouncing light through three points of diffusion. If you count the inner diffusion on the softbox, and then it, and then it hits the subject and that's, that's your, that's going to be your key light. And it's super, super soft. It's very cinematic. That's only one light. If you need any other background lighting, you need to do a whole like, like other lights. So it's a lot of setup to get a single shot. You know, what my takeaway is from that. What my takeaway is from all styles of photography and videography, which is, the fundamental question we had here was how much camera do you need? Well, 
you need a lot less camera if you get your lighting right at the source. Because once again, shit in equals shit out. If I give you shit light source and I have a badass camera, I produce an inferior result to something that is well lit and captured with an older, more antiquated camera. Yeah. And the difference, the main, like a huge difference between photography and videography is nobody cares about the lighting in photography. Like you, you put a hard strobe on someone's face. They're like, oh, they don't even think twice about it because that's what it's meant to look like. You're like, oh, they went for the hard look. In videography, you're not going to get away with with doing a scene on a couch where there's a fucking like hard continuous light hitting someone in the face. You're, that's just not going to happen. It's funny you mentioned that because as somebody who has a YouTube channel and has reviewed about 10 LED continuous lights that were specifically made for video, what do all 10 of those have in common? The one modifier that they give you is a hard reflector. <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? I actually, uh, the war like, Photo Deox gave me the Warrior to try out and they gave me a hard reflector, but because that light is meant for being outdoors and getting rained on and all that, I actually did test it out at the 11 a.m. hour with the harsh sunlight and it matched. I daylight balanced it and I had the hard reflector on. It looked like the sun was hitting me. It was like, okay, well, in this case it works. But uh, yeah, when you're sitting on a couch, you're absolutely right. I just had to point out that I just thought it was funny that that's all they give you is a hard reflector. I think I think even Photo Deox, well, to Photo Deox's credit, they also gave me a beauty dish, a soft beauty dish to go with it because I think they were just like, well, if he's going to test it out, we want it to look, look really good. And a hard reflector for all of his work is going to look very fucking harsh. And yeah, so uh, it, I actually re I, uh, released that review yesterday. But yes, I just wanted to point that out. You were you were talking, I'm going to let you continue on. Yeah, so, so really it comes down to light and... And like, yeah, what, what's nice is the reason so many continuous lights are, are so overjuiced, overamped and overpowered, uh, especially because Kevin's getting a lot of uh, continuous lights in that are just like, you know, Thor's hammer, like power of the sun. 300 watts. Yeah. Fucking bright. Yeah. The reason those are like that is because like this light needs to maintain its power through several different diffusers, through different bounces, through different techniques. Um, it needs to have that power so that your camera can shoot at the settings you want it to shoot at. You know, a lot of cameras, if you want to put a pro mist on your, on your video camera, if you want to put like different filters and diffusers and NDs and stuff, just, you know, for specific shots to shoot at specific focal lengths, you need, uh, you need that light, you need that power, uh, to get you there. It's, uh, because at the end of the day, your camera is limited by the light. Uh, the last thing you want to do is couch yourself on ISO. And that's another thing in video is when you're shooting log, the last fucking thing you want to do is move that native ISO, which is already high, even higher. You don't want to move that an inch. And the only way you can do that is by appropriately powering and, and framing your light to where you don't have to do that. Is it Snoop Dogg or Willie Nelson high? It's, uh, did you hear Snoop Dogg gave up weed? I did. I heard that yesterday. How long do you think that lasts? You can take the over or under on a week. Oh, uh, I I think I think it's gonna last a long time. I I think he's over it. He's a grandpa now. He actually makes kids videos. My my youngest son watches his uh, videos on YouTube. It's funny. I I think I think substances like no like no matter what it is, there comes a time where you just like outgrow them. Like anything, you know what I mean? Unless you're like a, a weight trainer where you mm -hmm. need to do TRT to like. Not everybody outgrows them. Some people die. <laughs> I, yeah depending on the substance i just i think it's like an inevitability like i think if you're a dude 
in your in your 40s and 50s and your yeah, like your thing is to just like come home and like smoke weed like i don't know like to each their own for sure but like i still think it's kind of childish so i'm glad snoop dogg phased out of that part of his life fair enough well coming up we are going to talk about where do you see the future of video going hi this is ethan tran and you're listening to the f11 photography podcast <laughs> All right, we're back and we are going to talk about the future of video. So we are talking about uh, new technologies that have come out. And of course, Sony just announced the, uh, was it the A9 Mark III, which has the global shutter. Now, a lot of uh, sports photographers and everything like that, uh, people like that are getting super excited about the global shutter. But where I see global shutter uh, being a really big benefit for videographers is the fact that there is no more rolling shutter. And so I have a R5, Canon R5, and then I use my 14 to uh, 35 F4 lens uh, for video. And holy shit, when I move laterally, like the, the warping on the outer edges is insane. So uh, for me, uh, even though I'm not going to rush out and buy a global shutter, I'm going to wait a few years until everybody has theirs and then the price goes down. I don't want to spend $6,000 just for that one feature because that, of course, goes back to our last episode where we talk about buying gear responsibly. Buy gear responsibly. Just live with your fucking warped out outer edges unless your primary job is being a videographer and you're getting paid to do really uh, cutting edge, you know, up-to-date types of videos. It's not really something that you need at this moment, but when the global shutter starts becoming more standard in cameras, I'm certainly going to welcome that into my life. And uh, that's the biggest technological advancement I see coming down the pipeline. Uh, another technological advancement I would like to see is some sort of a uh, anamorphic motorized focus pulling system that's a little bit more geared towards smaller setups like uh, Fuji X, you know, more run and gun type anamorphic stuff. Uh, Siri and other companies are selling anamorphic lenses, which is great. Uh, Canon actually has an interesting thing that they're coming out with uh, the new 24 to 105 f2.8. People were like, oh, it's like a it's like a travel lens, but it's a 2.8. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what this lens is at all. There's like little holes on the side for screws where you can put a motor in there and you can do like some type of focus pulling type stuff there. Clearly going all in on video on that can that lens, which is why it's like three thousand dollars. But yeah, that's it's those are the kind of the things that I see. Like uh, you know, smaller lenses that have some motorized type anamorphic type stuff and focus pulling, um, the global shutter. Those are those are the those are the things I see in the future. Uh, hopefully the, the 8K, fucking 10K, 16K is just going to turn into the megapixel war. And I don't give a shit about that. I give a shit about dynamic range. I give a shit about producing a beautiful picture and and things to help me, uh, uh, you know, produce better video in that way. But Brandon, what do you see uh, as far as the future of video? What are you hoping to see? And what do you think is going to come out? When I look at video, I look at where are the limitations. I look at, okay, uh, like you said, with the megapixel war, like 8K, 4K, like that whole thing, like it's nice. That's a nice to have. But in the world of processing, we're not there yet. We don't we don't have the processing power on average to do that because it's it's just still too expensive uh, to process that stuff. Um, I use a I use a MacBook 2023 M2 uh, fucking MacBook and it's like it's like, okay, I can, I can now work on an hour, uh, an hour of foot, you know, 4k footage. Um, and, and it's, it's easier. 
and that's expensive. <laughs> you know, like that's a lot of people can't afford that. I think that's, I think 4K and quality in that way is limited by processing power. What, what I think is going to be improved is stuff like is, is external video gear that's going to be like able to track you remotely. I think the in-body stabilization is going to become a huge thing. Uh, one thing I noticed on my Nikon Z8 is that I could actually get some pretty cool handheld shots uh, panning, tilting, and, uh, and like just, uh, and dollying myself with the camera, the in-body stabilization is fantastic. So I think that a lot of their improvements are going to be like small internal things. Like you said, the global shutter, that's going to be, you know, that's a big deal. I think with a, uh, an actual shutterless system, we're moving away from that in the mirrorless cameras. I think that uh, more power to the sensors and more software uh, going from from sensor to image is going to be improved. Like you know, like dynamic range. I think we're really just gonna gonna juice how much we can squeeze into the actual capabilities of the sensor itself. Um, something I've also seen recently is that there are a lot of third party uh, companies that are getting into cinema lenses, and they're now selling cinema lens kits. And in a world where, uh, in a world where the quality of video footage is fucking high, uh, the glass is—I wouldn't say it's coming second, because like that's almost like blasphemous to say in this world—is like we're getting away with using uh, third-rate, like actual physical hardware because the insides of the camera is, are just getting so great to the point where it's it's getting really creative. Um, one analogy I like to use is like uh, DJs. When they introduced the sync button, a lot of people hated it because it's like, oh, that's not real DJing. But what that sync button did is it, it gave DJs seconds, many, many, many seconds to do a lot more in their mixes. 100% because their mental bandwidth wasn't kept. You, you know, when I used to spin on vinyl, it was like, Okay, is it is it is it drifting? Is it drifting? I'm like I'm all constantly paying attention to are these two vinyl records drifting away from each other? Is my uh, turntable calibrated correctly? Does it does it have any drift on its on its own? Uh, yeah, and and I'd have to constantly tap it with my finger and babysit it and this and that and so yeah. And I was like, okay, well I'm gonna really really you know go hard on the effects here. And right. I, and so I, I agree. I, I I think that initially when I saw, I was like, that's fucking cheating. And then I was like, but man, that buys me a lot of time. Right. So like if I'm, if I'm using a Z8 and I'm doing a YouTube video where I'm following someone or I'm doing a YouTube video where, or not a YouTube video, but just like a video where it includes like, like several slow, like sweeping slow-mo shots with a lot of movement, a lot of panning, a lot of tilting, a lot of all that, instead of, instead of me, like, like, um, embracing the learning curve of using a gimbal and, and all that that entails, it's, it's a lot easier for me to learn how to be more steady with a camera and make fluid motions with my body instead of learning how to do that with my body on top of a gimbal, you know, turning off in-body stabilization so there's no like jitter and then just going that route. So it saves you time. It's easier to learn. And I think for a lot of situations, you can get away with flawlessly just having the cameras in body stabilization and on top of the ever increasing autofocus as well. So I think in summary, what you're saying is you're hoping for automated processes that simplify uh, things and then make the mental bandwidth of the, uh, the videographer get to focus on other things that could improve the quality of the video. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like a another thing that I'd like is, um, is 
a, a better way to show uh, waveform in cameras, like dedicated waveform on the top screen. That's a, that's a huge one, uh, especially when you're metering for log. Metering for log, you have a lot less uh, a lot less give than lead, uh, metering for standard. So, like stuff like that would be extraordinarily helpful. I agree. I agree. So, and one of the questions I fully intend to ask Canon at WPPI, a question I asked them last year, and they stared at me blankly, is, "Why do you not make anamorphic lenses?" That does it for today's episode. We thank each and every one of you for listening. You can catch us at f11pod.com if you want to learn more information about this pod. Um, yes, we're going to take over the WPPI show in March. And we're going to be streaming come the new year. Uh, you can follow us at f11pod with our handle at all major uh, social media uh, platforms. But yes, uh, we hope each and every one of you have a wonderful holiday season. And until next time, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.